This is Walking Your Talk, a personal development podcast about leadership, authenticity, and courage. I'm Carolyn Taylor, and I've spent my life working with leaders in organizations on how to change their culture. But this is much more personal. If you want to be known as someone who walks your talk at work and beyond, then this podcast is for you. Hello and welcome to this week's special edition of Walking Your Talk, an extended version where I'm going to be joined by a guest, Steve Cunningham. And Steve is the Director of Talent at BT, which for those of you who are not based in the UK, is the largest telecommunications company in the UK in telecommunications, in mobile, in TV. And he has always had a passion for culture. He and I have many conversations about culture as we've been working together and also took a lot of interest in accountability and how to make that work in the pursuit of BT's vision. And in this interview, you'll find that he makes a very strong link between clarity of purpose and the ability to then execute on any deliverable and use accountability well. And this is something certainly that we have now researched that my company Walking the Talk has done, where we have seen a a strong correlation between a strong shared vision, as well as strong psychological safety, a sense of trust between people and the ability of people to then deliver. So I think Steve is going to give us some interesting insights about how that works at BT. And it's nice to have the opportunity to have a longer interview in my podcast. So I hope you enjoy it. So hi, Steve, and welcome to the podcast. So glad to have you here. Morning, morning. Good to see you. We um, go back a while, and and I want really to use this podcast as a bit of a a storytelling, really, about how we met, what you've been doing with accountability, what I've been doing with accountability, and we certainly shared some adventures along the way, did we not? (laughs) I'm trying to remember when we first met. It must be four years ago now. Yeah, I'd say four years ago. I mean, you'd worked with BT before then as a a company, but we came uh, into contact. And if you remember that... uh, in the old world, there used to be those those we work places that people would go to and have meetings. And uh, you know, in the old world, you'd sort of just rock up and have a meeting socially. Uh, and that was when we first met. If you remember that that evening, we had a beer uh, to describe what was happening at BT and and how you could help. That's right. And we may or may not put all the pieces of that conversation into this <laughs> podcast, <laughs> but we just certainly had some shared goals about what, what we wanted to have happen. And I think what, what the reason I wanted you to come into the podcast today was because I, at that time, was really starting to build the ideas that you know later have moved into my conceptual theory about accountability, which I then put into the book. And do you remember I did that big event? I can't even remember where it was now, where... I introduced some of the ideas of accountability and we got, I think it was maybe the top hundred or something like that, really thinking about it. And I know you then picked up and did a whole lot of work after that to really try to embed accountability into the culture. So I'm interested in in how you went about doing that. And meanwhile, in that period, I then have written this book, which is about to be launched. So between the two of us, we've been moving ahead on accountability in a number of ways. So that I think is what we're going to be talking about. Tell me a little bit about why accountability mattered for you and what you were trying to do at BT and, and what you did with some of those ideas, how you embedded some things into the organization. 
what we were trying to do, as many organisations do, is to put a put a wrap around what we mean by culture. Really trying to put some definition and some guardrails together in order to be able to change the culture, because uh, there was clearly, uh, uh, yeah, this is back four or five years ago, but it's still true now, still clearly a set of actions that were in place. And one of them would have a heading like, Culture and capability. What's the, what, what are the things we need to unlock in order to release uh, BT from its from its anchors in the past? And culture is one of them. So it was it was often it had executive dialogue. Every time we talked to the board, somebody would would be trying to articulate what's the culture. So the dialogue we had uh, was, can you help us? frame what that is because um, culture uh, as a word doesn't help. Nobody gets it. Nobody understands it. It looks good on a piece of paper, but unless you can define it, it's there. So in, in unpacking with the Exco and the top team, the top 100, what were some of the things that held us back? The word accountability kept coming up in different ways. And, you know, so that, you know, you know, three broad anchors that, uh, that we'd identified. One of them was about accountability. One of them was about curiosity and looking outside uh, versus within. And the other one was a, it's a risk-taking, you know, taking more risk rather than you know, playing. Yeah. And, and even on the accountability one, I'm trying to remember now that the business imperative on that was was associated with implementing speed. It, there was something about speed, wasn't it? About getting things done faster and changing faster and struggling to get the pace. Yeah, for sure. And we, and we had a. It's really interesting because um, BT is a fascinating company, and uh, um, I'm not going to plug it. I promise you, I'm not going to do a sort of BT ad. But but let me just. Say, Everybody who works for BT who hasn't worked in BT before doesn't really understand BT until they meet the people. And then when they meet the people, everybody that I've recruited, everyone who's come in at a senior level or, or, or whatever level really says, wow, I didn't know you did. Oh, I didn't know you. I didn't know you had great people. I didn't know uh, how warm it would be. I, I was expecting something different. And I think that's, that, that's, in a way, starts the culture story. There are so many fantastic uh, hidden assets in, in BT that the issue is always how can we make the sum of the parts bigger than the whole? You know, that was, that was always, that, that's always been the cultural uh, agenda. But because it's, it's a, a diverse company, it's multiple different uh, units and histories, and it can be hard to define the culture in the same way. So accountability absolutely did mean how do we get things done faster how do we do it leaner, simpler, and reach the outcomes that we want to most? But it also meant to others, you know, we'd had some scenarios where people hadn't um, been holding um, each other to account. And we'd had some legacy issues, um, notably Italy and, and other issues where people had taken a sidetrack away from goodness and made some decisions which ultimately had an impact that were, were not good for our business. So that you also have that. And they're not parallels, they're not on the same continuum, but they're different definitions of what we mean by accountability. I think what, what we were trying to do is to, regardless of the scenario it plays out in, what's the core ingredients that will help us be simpler, hold each other to account, and therefore drive faster to the conclusions that we, that we have as a business? What was it about that session and the work and some of the ideas that came out of that session, some of those concepts about what it means to hold people to account? How did you then start to embed that what practically were you able to do yeah well a few very tangible uh, uh, things habits you know and um, when we started the journey all we had was the culture word but we didn't have the, the the habits and a few things came out from there above and below the line is a concept that has, has stuck uh, with us i would say meaning of course 
taking responsibility, not blaming, not justifying. Well, yeah, and actually an, an even more fundamental question, being concerned about whether I am or others are above or below the line uh, in terms of are they walking into a conversation with a file in their head that's full of history, pessimism, negativity, concern, victimhood, uh, and it's you know for all the fantastic things about 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 BT, we're a large company, and there is a lot of legacy and history that if you let it talk to you, you can convince yourself that it's real. Or above the line, as you say, um, what's possible? What can we do? Today is day one, um, rather than you know we're, we're we're down the line, and that and that that sense of realism, but without being phony, was a concept that that uh, really took hold because. A lot of the dialogue that can be had between two folks or a team who are below the line is just toxic. Yeah, and people can pull each other down. That, I mean, in a way, that becomes the culture, doesn't it? That you went, it ends up bringing the worst out of you as an individual because you get sucked in. I think that's one of the ways that cultures can really damage all of us. Indeed, and it's catching. So that so that concept uh, stuck. I mean, it's you know, something we've we've. Uh, you know, work with different executive teams. But the other concept that was really powerful was the sense of you can count on me, you know. So this this notion of saying it um, for whatever reason, yes, I can deliver for you without doing more of the homework and the preparation and the contracting around what that therefore means was part of our um, DNA that needed to be reinforced, one anchor that needed to be stronger. Yeah, what was the thing around that then? So what was it that people would say yes too easily? So they would say, yes, I can do that without really thinking it through. Because I know there is a power, and that's part of what's in the book now, is, is the power of you can count on me and how it causes you to really pause for a moment and say, can you count on me? Am I sure that I can deliver this? You know, so when I give you that commitment, it becomes a deliberate piece. What, yeah, what resonated there? I think there's two or three things under that. I mean, the first one is, I mean, BT is a is a, a network company, you know, and I mean that in both, well, there's probably more than two, two definitions, um, uh, but definitely a network company in terms of, yeah, we build networks, but also a network company in terms of the people rely on each other. Um, and that means is, you know, under the formal layer, you've got a lot of help and support that's going on. And if you're helping and supporting each other and you're asking your, your, your buddies and your mates, your network to help, they're not going to say no. So they say yes. Um, then what they have is the not dilemma, but they have the accountability on their shoulders to try and sort it out, and that can that can be a very frustrating thing to do because other people have said yes to other things. So you, you know, somebody described it at our worst. Sometimes it can feel like the chimpanzee, uh, the hungry chimpanzee with a stick and the banana. People are getting very agitated that they can't deliver and, and they can't reach the banana, and they get more agitated and, and they don't use a stick. But I think part of it is. It's not just saying yes. I think it's the willingness and the, and the desire to help, but without the formal sense of what would need to be true in order for me to do that. What would need to be true in order for that to, you know, for me to say yes, wasn't some of our instincts. And the other side, yeah, which I've sort of uh, touched on a little bit is so much the lack of prioritization and the lack of a core anchoring purpose that enabled us to say this is more important over the next thing meant that every, every, we were triaging lots of issues with the same degree of intensity when ideally the prioritization and focus would have said this is the most important thing for us let's do that 
and then let's leave this issue that you just asked me to resolve until six months down the line. So that sort of and pushing things out and pulling things forward, um, waiting, I call it, um, also struggling a bit. So, so I think those two things were really loud, actually, at the, the, the meeting that we had, but, they're, but they've, been, they've stayed with us. I mean, they've stayed with us and will continue to because uh, we've made great strides, actually. I, I, again, I, I'm, I'm, I think you know, I'm not really a, a, a guy who, is, who says, wow, we've done a great job and let me go out and advertise it. Not that at all. I just see the progress that we've made. and You're completely permitted to do that. Uh, and in fact, in many ways, I think, I mean, you know, I've also had this conversation that, that part of the challenge of changing culture is that all of us need a few milestones to say we are making progress. I mean, you need a bit of a, a, a tick. Yeah, okay, we had a good year. We succeeded at something. And, and with culture, it's so hard to actually get those clear anchors to say we are moving forward. So I'm completely behind somebody who wants to say we have made some progress. No, no, absolutely. And, and um, uh, the listeners can't see it, but um, you know, with my arm, I'm just going to put, do an up, upward trajectory, which is maybe 30%, you know, 30, 30 degree angle. Yeah. Uh, all the metrics, all the metrics that we measure about accountability, engagement uh, are on that 30% trajectory. The challenge is um, that uh, Philip, as a CEO, he has two years, I think, in yeah, growth mindset personified. Huh? The challenge is that he would like us to get to a, a 45 degree angle, you know, uh, of engagement, you know, all those indexes, because he can see the opportunity for BT. And, and that's been a real change too, which is growth mindset and thinking differently about the world um, as an opportunity rather than thinking about what we need to do from within in order to deliver what we've promised and you know we're on that journey i i wouldn't say that we've sort of uh, cracked it yet and the microsoft example everybody talks about look what microsoft did you know uh, so uh yeah we're looking at ourselves to figure out what, what we need to do to become bt's growth mindset uh, organization but and so what have been some of the success stories do you think as as leaders have become better and you've talked about people you know, saying yes with more deliberateness and, you know, really, yes, you can count on me. I'd be interested also on the other side about whether, whether leaders have got better at holding people to account and making that perhaps not such a negative thing that sometimes it's seen as. It's, it's impossible to talk about what's happened in the past few years without obviously touching on COVID. The, the examples that really stand out for me. So if I stand back as a practitioner, there's a, hey, another podcast where we can talk about what it's like to be above or below the line as a practitioner trying to drive this. I said, maybe we'll get to that at the end. And that's my more personal journey. But we've landed a few things which were, which were significant. The first one is a much clearer purpose as a company, which meant there has been some ability to engage 110,000 people in what we're trying to do as a company. COVID was part of that because in, in the COVID response, you wouldn't, you could not, if you had a video camera uh, and you were to observe what happened in, in, in COVID, accountability, speed, uh, decision-making, responsiveness, structure was just immense. Um, as many organizations, perhaps not outside of the UK um, uh, will have, but they'll have the equivalent. When there's a crisis, there's a, a structure that gets put in place. You have a gold commander, you have a silver commander. Yeah. And so, so people were allocated roles overnight, which basically meant decision-making governance was simplified to the point of a crisis. Huh? And accountability actually went up, is what you're saying. Exponentially. 
I still look back and, and think about colleagues who, what we were really surprised about was who took accountability, who stood forward, because it wasn't necessarily the talent, it wasn't necessarily the people you'd expect. It was an array of people who had the right skills and the right insight and knew and who, who walked into those, into those roles. It wasn't necessarily who we thought it would be, which is interesting. And who were given clarity about what was expected? Yeah, I think the situation demanded it, yeah. Which is why I think the purpose is really important because the purpose is, in a way, our continuation of the crisis. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't want to be misconstrued at all, so I'll, yeah, I'll say it. I mean, COVID, COVID it's been, been horrific, been, been terrible, it's been really difficult, um, uh, and everything that you would, you would all, re- all recognise. It, it gave us something which is a belief that we can turn things around quickly. And that's always been in BT, but it's always required a, a, a crisis. So you know, the historical stories about what culture put to one side is when there's a crisis or something needs to be delivered, the Olympics or BT Sport or all this. But I think more than any, we were, we were trying, what do we need to take out of this and how do we continue it? Yeah. And there's an, been a sort of a slip back, but purpose was one of them. When we responded in crisis, we responded with purpose, which was connecting uh, the society in which we work in a different way. We've actually um, had some research done, we done recently where that was the strongest correlation to people delivering was a clear shared vision and purpose, which was actually a little bit, we hadn't necessarily assumed that that would be the number one correlation to accountability. The second one was feeling in a sort of psychologically safe environment, if you like, where people felt they could have real conversations about what was and wasn't you know, doable which also you know, links to some of that stuff we were saying before about when I give you my word, let me be really sure and yeah. that I can talk about whether or not that's doable. Yeah, and that brought a fair bit of, um, I mean, we're still in the crisis and we, it, just hasn't, it hasn't uh, dissipated, but, but I think the, the candor went up and the ability to, if it isn't happening, to be able to say, and I heard this conversation a lot, well, we did it last week in COVID, why are we not doing it now? So, so, the, so the, the standard went up. I think, and the expectation of people winter. And there's a couple of things happening here at the same time, because before we went, uh, or before COVID struck, just at the back end of, uh, I guess, 2019, uh, we ran a series of workshops across uh, the top 100, imaginatively entitled Leading BT, which also tried to, to capture what was required from our leadership team in order to deliver a brand that was about beyond limits. Yeah. So, um, Beyond limits and tapping your potential, be the best person you can be. I mean, if I if I summarise it, the, the the brand guys would probably tell me that's not quite not quite right uh, beneath the headline. But that's that was the spirit of it, which was for the top one hundred, uh, what needs to be true for us to unlock our potential. Series of workshops, exco involved, twenty people in a room for two and a half days, completely secret, as in you know, you're going to go into a room and you're going to come out of it. And in that, in that room, there were a couple of things that we tried to reinforce that were about accountability. The first one was, as a leader, what are you accountable for? Is it doing or is it standing back and framing for your teams what's important? Yeah. Is it hiding yourself and things that you're worried about or is it actually being authentic and sharing with people where you're feeling? Yeah. And is it being able to give feedback? Is it something we would ask you to do to give feedback in the moment rather than storing it up and never never deploying it you know there were three sort of, of the moments of truth that we were aiming for and in that um exercise so remember this is pre-covid this is face to face it's you know it's 
Do you remember that? Yeah, it's basically. Yeah. And one of the exercises, which which was, you know, and, and you know, need to call out um, uh, uh, friends and partners at Inuus um, who who work with us, was a mask. And on the mask, uh, you'd have loved this. You'd have loved it. On the mask, inside the mask, write what it is that I'm thinking about having shared or feeling. On the outside of the mask, yeah, what it is I'd like to be seen as. Oh, nice exercise, yeah. Uh, and that was a fascinating exercise because you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in it, but I'm also observing it. And I'm in it and I'm experiencing it, but I'm also observing a large proportion of the population are writing things on the inside of their mask that sounded like when I go home, I'm not, I'm not the person I'd like to be. I'm overworked. I'm stressed. I'm tired. I'm irritable. I'm not the parent I want to be. I'm not the, you know, the, I'm not who I want to be when I'm outside of work. And that, that sort of honesty and candor and the ability to unlock and we'll get to accountability because I think because I think is I think is the heart of it, which is are you able to be honest with yourself and are you able to be authentic with your colleagues? So that the dialogue that you have when it comes to accountability is is real as opposed to fake arbitrage. Because you can you can do you can do the contracting and we tried it. I mean we we, we tried it in the room, huh? We tried it in the room, several rooms. Could you declare whether you are in or out? You know. With the fingers on your hand, one, two, three, four, five. Could you declare? And people find it incredibly difficult to do that because it means being honest in the moment with a colleague that they don't like their idea. And we, you know, we, we, we encourage that. Well, I was going to say one of the things that that I am reaching a stronger and stronger view on is that that it, what you were saying there, the quality of the conversation, and implicit within that then is the quality of the trust you can then build through that conversation. And what that then does from a purely task point of view on the ability of you know, one person to deliver ultimately, you know, in a very performance orientated piece. And, and so the link between those two is much stronger than I think I had initially realized that if you can have those, you know, and we've talked about having those real conversations up front about, is this doable? Because I've become increasingly clear, of course, that the role that I call in the book, the asker, the person who wants something delivered, to almost by definition is always going to be asking for you know less cost, more volume, faster time. I mean, they're always going to be stretching it. And the giver, the person who's then delivering is always to some extent got anxiety about that because of all the other things they've got going on and can I do this and prioritization and so on. And so it feels that the ability to, to get those two potentially conflicting desires to match and to meet at a point that the asker feels like it's high enough and the giver feels they can do it actually does come down to the quality of the conversation. So all that stuff you were talking before about being honest and having the expressing the doubts about why might this not be achievable and what are the risks to it and how do we overcome them? And, but those kind of conversations, I think, I don't know whether you find this is happening now in BT, but the more they seem to happen in the early stages of what you're trying to do, the more likely I think it then is that it gets delivered. As a, as a sort of human being, as a person, the accountability I often feel is I have to be perfect. Right? How can I possibly go into a room and say to uh, yeah, a room full of people, uh, we're going to do the accountability task now, unless I'm perfect and I have a day job. You know, and in my day job, which is not facilitating, it's you know I lead talent or I need yeah, I have things to deliver. So, so I, I, I sometimes feel the enormous weight of pressure because 
I have to be perfect. I can't possibly, you know, and you, and then you feel the, then you feel the under the line sort of kicking in because if you have to be perfect all the time, it's bloody impossible. So, so you have this sense of, you know, as a practitioner, how to help people when you also are in the system is something that I've, yeah, uh, I've I've played around with, and and there's one word that um, uh, you taught me actually. Um, uh, you taught me this word. There's one word that I actually I've used, and uh, and I've seen it used across BT, and it's it's a very simple word. It's the word yet. I haven't delivered yet. We are not where we need to be yet. It's not a trick, uh, but I've used that for myself. You know, in, in saying you know, uh, I haven't delivered what I needed to yet. Uh, which is a completely different mindset from, oh shit, I haven't delivered what I've done. Therefore, everybody knows. Therefore, I can't possibly be in a room facilitating the accountability. You know, and therefore I'm a terrible person. Yes, <laughs> which is the next step on that happens quite soon. Yeah, and, and generally, I've, I mean, it's part of the growth. Model, but the word yet is an incredibly powerful one because under transformation where there is so much history and there's so much reason why we could choose not to believe that being able to say with positivity genuine positivity because you know that's who i am and that's it's a word about the pursuit of excellence yet isn't it yeah it's it's the possibility that we could be more than what we are now as opposed to the feeling that we're not good enough i mean it's just that twist of coming from aspiration rather than necessarily coming from floor right now being a being flawed yeah. yes. back to your point on the quality of dialogue it improves the quality of dialogue i mean not, not the word but just being honest enough to say i don't know or i can't deliver or we need to talk to yeah. my team about how we rather than contracting and then looking to solve the scenario afterwards uh, and we definitely see more dialogue up front from agile agile, agile has played a massive part in this as well because um um yeah in what way if I can talk from from my own experience, but it's, I've seen it replicated both in in, in different things. So w- what we saw in it's difficult to separate this out from COVID because of the very nature of using teams fluidly online. So I'll give you an example. Uh, my team used to be in three locations, all in London. One was in one office, one was in the other, one was next. Getting them together was impossible. Now uh, the team can come together in the blink of an eye, and the structure and the support and the trust and the degree of uh, enablement for sure it's up to us as a team to create but it, it has been much quicker to create it on a virtual environment than it was in a physical environment and i think people have found that but but what i mean by the by the trust and the dialogue is regular conversations with people working on something together makes a big difference uh, having that uh, having that dialogue and trust and openness to be able to say what people's ideas are earlier in a process and what, what tended to happen before, and I guess it happens a lot, is somebody is polishing something in a room. They're polishing, you know, they're, you know, I've written my book. Now I give it to you and say, is, is this the book that you wanted? And you say, no, I didn't want that book. I wanted it to be blue. I didn't want it to be red. What we're seeing a lot more of now is agile teams who are building the book slowly, building the book together, uh, iteratively, weekly, so that everyone is part of the dialogue, you know, and it's not coming as a surprise. And, and we've seen that we've seen that play out in multiple places across across BT, partly because of COVID, partly because of Agile, partly because of the direction of the business that we're going in is a much more um, customer back direction rather than technology out direction. Now, just saying the quality of the dialogue is is, is uh, fundamentally different. Whether it's better or not, the outcomes will be, but it's fundamentally different 
in the co-creation feels like co-creation now rather than uh, you're, you're asking someone to do a task and they disappear and they come back and, and they've done it or not is based on their ability to deliver. I, I wonder, linked to that, whether the idea of the difference between a promise and an intention has had meaning for you. It's had a lot of meaning for me in the sense that sometimes the honest answer is, I will give you my best intention on this. And then it's the dialogue and the conversation and understanding the risks and understanding the specificity of what we're going to have to do, which eventually turns that into, okay, now I absolutely can you know, give you my word, I can deliver that because now I'm clear about doing it. That We kind of jump immediately, I think, into assigning something to someone and then assuming that there doesn't need to be any further dialogue about that. Maybe, maybe what I'm describing is 101 and this is class 201. I see it more so around the, I described it earlier as, what's the frame? So, so I, I, see a, I see more dialogue around, before we agree, can we just agree what the frame is? And the frame may be purpose. You know, does this play into our purpose or not? Does this play into the things that we've agreed before are going to be important? I see that happening more. The, the point that you just made around intention, I think we still have a lot of work to do in terms of the contracting, particularly between teams where there is clashing of the priorities. And I definitely still see a, a sort of, and I feel it too sometimes, which is I've been, I've been tasked to deliver this, uh, therefore I need to deliver it. So who can help? And that's playing to the, the strength of the network. Who can help me? Who can help me deliver this? And my, and my buddies and my colleagues uh, will say, I can help, and they'll lean in. But that's not the same as having, uh, that's not the same as that intentional contracting, which says, here's the task. What is it we're going to choose to do differently? We've, we've tried to play around with it in a quite a formal way, actually, with um, HR has a plan. Listeners who work for BT will be pleased about this. Uh, it's, it's called One Plan, or it's called the Group HR Plan. And in it, there's a contracting exercise, which is, what is it we're going to prioritise? And what's the resource that's required from the various different units in order to make that happen? And it's, it's a good structure. It's lauded. People get it. Um, but it's, it's not yet embedded in the, in the psyche of what that means. Uh, because what it means is, if you're committed to this, you have to stop doing something over here that you, you yourself have committed to and you've made a promise to somebody that you're going to deliver. And you have to say to that person, I'm sorry, I can't deliver it because I'm now focused on this for the greater good. Yes, and that, that's a difficult conversation. It's a whole other difficult conversation, isn't it? Which is when you have to re recontract. That's exactly where we're at, which is much more transparency, much more, I mean, generally, um, the purpose does mean something. And so there is, there is a higher order sort of cascade that we're trying to figure out. BT connects for good. Therefore, what does that mean is more important to us than others, to colleagues, to customers, to you know, the, the society in which we work. That generally does mean something. And that contracting is, is becoming more formal. But just as I described, it's a really helpful question. It helps me, you know, helps me sort of articulate what's, what's happening. It's the contracting and the implications of that contracting where we're still a bit, well, we're leaving people feeling compromised i think and we have to help them figure out how do they uncompromise themselves because the elders who are who are sort of asking for different things from different colleagues how do they have those what inevitably are difficult conversations and where i think we naturally perhaps incline to avoid having them 
and we avoid having them either by trying to kill ourselves by doing everything, as you, you were talking about before. So let me try and do both the new HR plan and what I'd previously committed to people. And or we avoid them by kind of focusing on one thing, but then perhaps not just hoping that the other demand will go away. The most difficult position, of course, is to go and have the conversation you just described, which is about, well, I don't think I can now deliver this to you. So this, I'm wondering whether there's a link between f- believing enough in the purpose that I am willing to enter into conversations which are going to make me personally uncomfortable. Do you find me? Because I'm doing it for this greater good, which I genuinely believe in. I'm not going to make these up, but, but it's sort of probably in the right direction. For every 10 of those conversations that we have, five people would say, well, my boss told me that I can't do this, so so it would it would be it would be allocated upwards. Yeah? yeah, my boss told me, so therefore I can't do it. Or the plan told me that this is my new direction, so therefore it's the plan's fault. It's not my fault. Yeah, that's a great below the line comment. Yeah, there'll be five of those conversations, right? Um, and I suspect that there'll be two or three that are. I'd really like to deliver this for you, but I'm not quite sure how to deliver it. Uh, I've committed to you, but now here's the plan. Can we talk about how what what my revised objective would be? And there's, by the way, there's a host of reasons why that doesn't happen. Hierarchy is one of them. You know, this, the, the, the anchors of BT culture are, you know, if you if you're reporting upwards, you, and we're trying to break that 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 down, and the agile breaks that down. But you can see why it's it can be difficult for people to suddenly say, "This is how I feel about the situation I'm in," versus the plan told me. And I've also, I've, you know, it's a great architecture. We just have to get a bit more fluid with the dialogue that happens underneath so that we're not, we're not falling back on old sort of waterfall habits of uh, great, I'll disappear and I'll come back with the book already and finished because the, the, the world isn't operating in that way anymore. And uh, we just need more regular, active, honest dialogue about the contracting piece, as you say. Well, I'm fascinated. We're going to have to draw ourselves to a conclusion fairly soon, but I'm fascinated that the fascinated that where our conversation has gone is, is come back again, again, again to the quality of dialogue as being the critical differentiator. And the thing that you're noticing is happening more in BT. And the thing that I've been noticing is the critical piece to actually enable accountability and delivery ultimately, which is to happen. Um, so I know when I started studying this, that wasn't the conclusion I was necessarily expecting. So it's curious that that is how it's emerging, that the higher the trust, the more we can have those open conversations, the more likely it is that we can then negotiate our way into what's going to be best for all of us. So what then, you know, what what are you learning? What's next? Let's have a, a final wrap up here. What's What's the next piece you want to inject into the culture? Well, I just add to what you just said a moment, Colin, which is the power of words. And you know, I, I gave the example of yet. I, I was always looking for, um, probably unreasonably so. I was always looking for the the one or two mental models that everybody can share. You know, so that so that we're stuck, we can go back to the mental model, which is why you know visually the pencil dropping you know from your hand, you know, is a good symbolism of that. And you know, I'll, I'll leave you to. And the above the line, yes, the above and below the line piece, yes. Uh, what, what, that, what that means. But just being able to break break the pattern for a moment to be able to remember where we were. 
and just simple words like yet. So, so I think I think there is a sort of an educational piece because it isn't uh, it isn't something that comes naturally to a lot of people in, in households and in life and in families. Uh, I'm certainly not blessed by it. I, uh, yeah, my, my, my family upbringing was far from um, far from great on the contracting sense. So you're having to relearn a skill, and I think that the way that you put it there is a good way of you know we have to learn the skill of doing this because uh, it doesn't come naturally to everybody. And to do that, I would are there some prompts or some symbols that can? Well, I think the "Can I count on you? You can count on me" is is a nice language prompt. And then you talk about habits, and and I've, what I've tried to do in the book is 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 identify some habits that one can get into in terms of the types of conversations that we have with each other, in order to deliver to each other, really, because it is a delivering to each other in that accountability relationship. So. I'm glad that it's helped, BT, and uh, wish you very well with the next stage. As we said when we were on the phone, we will have sit down face-to-face one of these days and have another beer to have this conversation. It seems like it may be a long way off, but one day we'll have it, yeah. Yeah, no, indeed. And um, so having rattled on um, the future, you asked briefly about the future. I think we have a we have a great opportunity. We have, I mean, genuinely, we, we, we have a great opportunity, which needs more people to step into that that space of what can we create versus what have we promised to deliver in the past? Not versus, it, it, it's, it's both. Huh? The opportunity to create an, a, a brand new organization to, to, to create a, a different culture comes very rarely, comes very, very, very rarely. And we've got a number of different ingredients to that around the contract we want with our workforce, where we work, our offices, our premises, agile, what happens after COVID, what our customers want, the opportunity to build a network in the UK that's you know, um, purpose-led. And, and you know, there are so many great ingredients. So I, I think for, for BT, I think it's following through and just continuing to embed some of those role models of people who can collaborate and can deliver and, and can do it in a way that means that they are always maintaining their promises, but without compromising, without compromising and having the courage to fight for the right outcome to deliver that purpose. That's what I see Philip encouraging. That's what I see us looking for. And we're seeing people step into that and we're people seeing people step away from that. So it's a really fascinating uh, time for BT right now to, to, to really explore what's possible with some of the ingredients that we've talked about today. Thank you so much for sharing your story and, and your journey and, and wishing you every success in BT. Steve, it's been great to talk to you. Great to talk to you again. Always a pleasure. Always, always fun. Thank you so much for your time. So there you have it, a wonderful interview by someone who is a practitioner, like many of you, applying principles of accountability, tying them strongly into a strong sense of purpose and making that come alive and realizing, as I have realized, this link between the quality of the dialogue that happens between the two roles that I'm calling the asker and the giver and what happens when those two people can really have quality conversations about what can be delivered and how that will enhance the reputation, the performance, and the quality of culture, of life in your organization. So I'll see you again next week where we'll explore some more on accountability. Thank you for joining me.